0: You're talking about a kid who is the number one overall recruit in the country, who's got agents after him, he's got the major shoe endorsers after him right now, potentially lining up because they know he's gonna be a top five pick. And they're complaining over $15,000 when these universities are profiting much, much more than that. I think he really improved on his ball handling, he improved on his finishing around the basket and his jump shooting off the dribble. He's been aggressive. He's been attacking the basket, he's passed the ball much better, and I think he's really, really taken his offseason seriously based on the progressions he's made, how consistent he's been, and the approach and mindset of the, the new look Minnesota Timberwolves team. I think he'll be ready because based on the Kaepernick that I've heard about and and seen from afar, he prides himself on preparation and showing up. And I I don't think he squanders an opportunity like this. So it just depends on team meeting. There's a lot of teams that could use a backup quarterback based on what I've seen. Welcome to the Ted Hendricks episode of Pull Up That's Right, episode number 83. We are currently recording on a beautiful Thursday afternoon. It's about 65 degrees here in Portland, Oregon. The weather is nice, we're coming off a back-to-back. So that means designated rest and recovery day, washing clothes, watching football, watching basketball, and getting ready for another road trip. Obviously, season hasn't started the way we wanted. We're four and eight. A lot of things we can improve upon, a lot of things I can do better individually, and I'm looking forward to how we're gonna be tested on this road trip. We've played well at times. we played poorly at times, but I think the biggest thing for us is going to be consistency going forward and being able to play a full 48-minute game. Uh, we lost a tough one last night to a good Raptors team. They were short some numbers as well, but they still have a lot of depth, and Pascal Siakam was a lot for us to handle. But going forward... I'm really looking forward to the rest of the season, 70 games left, and seeing how we fare along with the rest of the NBA. Jordan, you're traveling. You're in Florida right now. Uh, what's been your favorite part of the NBA season so far? And I think the ruling just got announced that the kid from Memphis has been ruled ineligible. Yeah. What's go- yeah. What's going on with that situation?
1: Yeah, that, that one is really tough. Um, in a nutshell, uh, what's most interesting about that was James Wiseman, who was the number one overall recruit coming out of high school, was that they ruled them ineligible. And then, this is last week, then he had basically uh, a last-minute ruling by the courts that said he could play, but that if he was found to be ineligible later, that Memphis would suffer the consequences, perhaps even losing postseason eligibility. So, uh, that being said, he played in one game, and now we're back into this Almost no man's land. I feel really badly for him, uh, and the NCA is is as we've talked about a lot. Is uh, to me, it's it's a very hypocritical organization, and I would even use the word corporation. Here, you have a young kid that decided to go to college and not go overseas. He wanted to be in college. He wanted to play for Penny Hardaway, and you know, at some point, CJ, we're gonna have whether it's 2022 or, or beyond that, we're going to have um, kids coming out of high school back into the NBA. And for me, anytime you have a situation like this, it de players, especially the elite players to come into college. Because if you decide you want to go to school, what's to say that you won't have an infraction that you are unable to play and then even miss significant time or miss an entire season your reputation gets tarnished a little bit, and it's really disappointing uh, i feel real i feel feel for him and as we 've seen in the past these these things don't get resolved very quickly yeah, I agree. I think this is something that could drag on for a long time i'm just happy
0: he was able to get a few games in uh, to start this season. I know a lot of scouts were checking him out. they played in Oregon uh, here this this week. And they were able to kind of see him, his explosiveness, his athleticism, his versatility. I mean, the consensus is that he's going to be a top five pick regardless of what happens, you know, whether he plays or not the rest of the season. But it's just a shame this kid's eligibility is being questioned and now it's it's been taken away from him um, so early on. In his freshman season, you're talking about a kid who could have taken an alternative route. Obviously, he could have gone anywhere in Europe. He could have gone to some other leagues and made top dollar. And this wouldn't even be an issue right now. So it's very unfortunate he's going through this. There's another similar situation, similar but different in the in the NFL. In, the, in college football, uh, with the kid from Ohio State who in question, took money from Chase a family. Young, yeah. Yeah, Chase Young takes money from a family friend, supposedly for his girlfriend to attend a ball game in Arizona. Paid the money back, but he's still suspended. The, the amount of money he received in the loan is in question. They don't know, but all they know is he accepted it, he paid it back, and that's that. But he's still being punished for it. So there's a lot of slippery slopes Mm -hmm. uh well about right now which makes this this college situation very strange
1: yeah and and he's you know Wiseman's gonna end up being like you said a really high pick regardless but it's more so like this is supposed to be his his one you know experience in college you know he he went to school to, to play college basketball and to you know burst onto the national stage like any Great high school, you know, Phenom does. He was averaging 20 and 11. And for those who don't know, basically what happened is James Wiseman played for Team Penny, which was, I believe, the Nike EYBL circuit. And Penny Hardaway, before becoming the Memphis head coach, was coaching AAU basketball. Uh, The kid did not know, according to the school, that Penny Hardaway paid nearly $12,000 to help him basically with his family move from Nashville to Memphis a couple of years ago. And now we're in this position where Penny Hardaway was considered a booster at the time of Memphis, which makes sense. He played there. And it's like, I, it's just, it's, it's so innocuous and it's very similar to Chase Young at Ohio state. In mean, fact, I, I, you could even argue that this is even um, less so because he didn't even know of the payment. So, uh, I really hope, for the sake of college basketball fans, the school, and most importantly for for the young man, that he gets an opportunity to play again. Um, and it's 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 just very disappointing, CJ. I, you know, it, it, at some point you wonder, like, how much is enough? What's the end goal? And I'm 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 sad for him. I, I talked to him a little bit. He's a great kid. He's been in high spirits, but at some point you wonder, you know, when is too much uh, for someone to handle? And I wonder if 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 he's at some point, if he just drops out of school and decides just to work out and not even uh, remain with the team, you know what I mean? yeah, it's a it's a tough situation because, like you said before, he wasn't aware of the
0: payments first and foremost. And secondly, no one knew Penny was going to be the head coach at Memphis. At the time, Penny was just an AAU coach. You know what I mean? Taking care of a lot of kids, you know, making sure families are straight and just trying to continue to develop his players to get them ready for the next level. So him him kind of facilitating that move in the past, it's not like he had a crystal ball and knew he was going to become the head coach at the university. Like, he was he was just an AAU coach at the time. So it's, it's – Interesting that the kid is being punished over twelve to $15,000, when in reality, um, he's going to be a millionaire here shortly. And who's to say that these kids aren't being offered various amounts of money to to attend certain schools? You're talking about a kid who is the number one overall recruit in the country, who's got agents after him. He's got the major shoe endorsers after him right now, potentially lining up because they know he's going to be uh, a top five pick. And they're complaining over $15,000 when these universities are profiting much, much more than that.
1: You talked about travel moving on a little bit because I, as I'm on the, whenever I'm on the road, I sympathize for for NBA players because I just, you're out of your comfort zone, especially when it's more than four or five days, it becomes a week week and a half you're just you're sleeping in different beds um big 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 ups to professor uh, to big ups to producer Joe who produces this terrific miles traveled by each team and it's no surprise but last year the Portland Trail Blazers by far once again led the NBA in miles um about 45,000 miles at what point during the season does it affect you like the travel and at what point does it become something that you really have to like, address? You know, How much can you fight through? Is it right away just because you're playing so many minutes? Or is it early enough now where I know you're tired, but it hasn't really hit you yet? It definitely affects you um, throughout the entire
0: season. It really hits you probably about January. Um, I would say around the December, January, right before All-Star break is when you really start to feel it. Because the human body isn't meant to travel that much. You know what I mean? It's not meant to go through those types of trauma from the the lower levels of oxygen that are in the air when you're 30,000 feet above to the dehydration that your body goes through to your joints in general. Um, just not being able to fully relax and recover the way they're supposed to. Like, it definitely affects you, but it's a part of the profession and you have to take those strides of, you know, getting soft tissue work, stretching Getting your seven to nine hours of sleep, uh, making sure that you're extremely hydrated, uh, lots and lots of water, you know, maybe a gallon, maybe a little bit more than a gallon per day, because that's very important uh, from a recovery aspect. But the, the one thing that's important early on in the season is that you really kind of sustain and maintain your diet. You know, like you said before, you're traveling a lot right now. So what you eat fluctuates based on what's available in the hotel, what's available surrounding restaurants. But a lot of times you land late. For instance, we've played three back to backs already in our first 12 games. And one time on the back to back, I got home at 2.15, 2.15 or 2.30 a.m. And we had a game the next, the next night at 7 p.m. And based on when you land and you may be hungry and there's, only certain types of food you can eat at, at certain hours. And if you're at home, obviously it's different. You got your refrigerator, you can cook, or you have a chef. But when you're on the road and you land in a city at 1 or 1.30, you have the late night menu options in the hotel, which is probably fried foods, uh, cold subs, and not much, much else to kind of work with. So it does affect you early on. It affects you throughout the season, but it's more so about how you take care of your body and us playing in Portland, being so far away in the Pacific Northwest, we historically have to log and travel the most miles just because of where we're at uh, from a proximity standpoint.
1: Do you, like, when you eat that late, let's say you eat at two thirty-three, 3, even one thirty. do you then force yourself to stay up a little extra so you could digest the food, or you just go to bed because you need to sleep? I just try
0: to go to sleep uh, whenever I can, honestly. So um, brush my teeth, floss, and wash my face and sometimes I take a shower to kind of relax the body and then try to go to sleep. Obviously, in a perfect world, your body needs time to digest. You need to try to cut off your water intake at a certain time so that you can really get a a full night's sleep and your body isn't constantly working trying to digest the food you've eaten. But this isn't a perfect world we live in, so you have to be able to adapt and adjust.
1: Yeah. Well, speaking of travel and adapting, Paul George coming back for the Los Angeles Clippers, who, by the way, traveled the second most miles last year. That's my professional transition of the week. Um, you liked that, didn't you? It's not bad. It's not bad. That no, was not bad? I thought it was awful. But regardless, <laughs> uh, PG's back. Uh, I'm excited about it selfishly as a basketball fan. Last year, we know he had his best season, was an MVP candidate for most of the season and obviously dealt with some injury problems. But um, you you guys have, have played the Clips, and obviously Paul George wasn't there. But what's the number one thing he gives them from day one? I think the number one thing he gives them from day one is just another versatile player. You're talking
0: about an elite scorer, an elite defender who, um, based on statistics, was arguably the best two-way player uh, the NBA scene last season. Obviously, people argue Kawhi, but in terms of games played, with Paul George playing more games, having a larger role based on what he needed to do for that team when he was playing, obviously Kawhi had a huge role for the Raptors, but they had depth. They were able to still be on pace for 50 to 55 wins without him, which means that they're consistently using their bench unit. They had a lot of the guys to step up. The Thunder's offense and defense revolved around Russell Westbrook and Paul George. Defensively, it revolved around Stephen Adams and Paul George. And I think you've seen uh, he had a career year. Um, most three-pointers made in the season for him, highest PPG, highest RPG, assist, uh, assist per game was up. Everything about him improved that last year. And it's a shame, obviously, they got eliminated early in the playoffs. <laughs> Sorry about that. Huh. But I thought that he really showed Large strides in terms of his ability to take over games, his ability to be dominant again, and I think you know this is the best he's been in his entire career, even pre-injury. Uh, in in Indiana, I think he's better now than he's ever been in his his entire life.
1: Yeah, I think it's the best two-way wing combo in basketball. And remember how much they gave up the Clippers. They gave up Gilgis Alexander. Uh, sorry, they gave up Gilgis Alexander, a guy I know you like a lot. They gave up Gallinari. Uh, I believe five first-round picks, if I'm not mistaken. So it was a massive gamble in the sense that you're betting on a guy who hasn't been especially healthy, but then again, he is only 29 years old. I The, the, the best part about this for me, if I'm the Clippers, is Kawhi Leonard wanted Paul George. That was the guy he wanted to pair with. Um, he knew he was available. He knew they could get him. They're both L.A. guys. I, I'm really interested to see CJ. The, what's the process and how does it work itself out of Who's the closer? Is it a nightly thing? Is it what you and Dame do, which is, you know, you, I guess it is kind of a nightly thing where you, you, you'll you read each other's body language, you'll talk to each other maybe in a timeout, but, but you really feel it out any given night. Uh, or is it Kawhi saying, listen, I, I am uh, the best player in the world, or I believe I am? And uh, this is still going to be my team, even though I do want you here. I think it would go
0: by matchups. Matchups and hot hand. They're both extremely dominant players. You could argue that Paul George is more creative off the bounce than Kawhi Leonard. And obviously, Kawhi's better back to the basket and has a better mid-range. But if you need a three-pointer, you probably go with Paul George. If you need a two, you probably go with Kawhi based on circumstance and matchups and timing. But, like like you said before, I think there are two people who are from California. They wanted to play together and you understand that sacrifice is the largest part of the game in terms of success. When you want to be successful and you care about your team, you have to sacrifice something. And I think that they're both two guys who will be willing to sacrifice for the greater good of winning a championship. Uh, Kawhi has said it uh, profoundly multiple times that he doesn't care about MVPs. He doesn't care about individual accolades and success. And when people talk about the... Low management, he tells them this. I want to be ready to help my team win a championship and be as healthy as possible for the playoff run. And that's what he's kind of echoed throughout his career, especially as of late after going through that injury in San Antonio.
1: How much pressure is on Paul? You know, he's been knocked out of the first round four straight years. Obviously, that's not all on him. But between Indiana and Oklahoma City, he has not had playoff success from a team standpoint. And then he comes in now to a team that's already very good and has a lot of good players what what kind of pressure will he feel, especially early on when he tries to assert himself but also give the space to the others?
0: I don't think he'll feel that much pressure right away. I think they'll ease him back into it. Obviously, Kawhi's not playing back-to-backs, and I think that PG will, will not play back-to-backs as well uh, initially upon return, but they'll ease him into it. Doc's a really good coach in terms of putting his players in position to succeed. They got Depp, obviously, Luke Williams, Montrezaro, um, or Harkless, they got the big fella, they're down a shooting guard right now due to due to an ankle injury. So they'll be in a position with Patrick Patterson, some of those guys to mix and match lineups for one. And for two, figure out who's gonna play the four, who's gonna play the three. And and when they go small, uh, they could potentially put one of them at the five or go Montrez Harrow five and then go with the all-guard lineup. So they'll be able to really mix and match and play around and use these seventy games to get ready for the playoffs.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm really interested in I think Doc does a fantastic job of delegating. One one question for me that I'm just wondering aloud is: um, Do you think they'll play the back-to-backs together? In other words, if Paul and Kawhi are both going to sit out the back-to-backs, I wonder if they would. Uh, I wonder if they would split it up, or say, Paul, you play tonight, Kawhi, you play tomorrow night, or if they would play together because that would be most advantageous from building a cohesion. Uh, for the future? I think they will mix and match, honestly. I think at times
0: they will sit one and play one and at times they'll play both or sit both because camaraderie is very important but you also want to keep the plan you have in place for both players so if it's a scheduled rest day it still needs to be a scheduled rest day regardless of if the other one is playing or not you know what i mean so i think they'll be cognizant of the rehab plan that's in place to make sure that it's it's still in line it on schedule with you know targeted rest days versus targeted workload days especially since he had shoulder issues you know getting hit by screens, shooting finishing around the basket those are all things that can affect your shoulders and how you're feeling each day and you best believe he's going to be chasing guys coming off screens he's going to be finishing around the basket and they want to be very
1: very cautious with how they're moving around both of these players because they are the franchise we talked about the Clippers being 24th in pace they moved up to 17 I can't imagine they'll be any higher than that this year we, we know they want to play deliberate and be opportunistic about running so that, that, that's something to monitor just how much will they run You know what's really interesting to me, CJ, is Minnesota. I, I had I wasn't sure what to expect from them. In fact, I didn't have particularly high expectations, other than the fact that I thought Carl uh, Anthony Towns would have a would have a great year. But uh, Andrew Wiggins, averaging 26 points a game, five consecutive 25 plus point games, it's the best basketball we've seen from him. Obviously, former number one pick, and we know we've known all along how talented he is. But other question marks have uh, have arised. 33-year-old 33, 33 Ryan Saunders, son of the late Flip Saunders, great head coach. He's running the show. What have you seen from these two, and specifically with, with Wiggins, why do you think he's, he's had such great success early on this year? I think, for one, he had a great summer.
0: I think he really improved on his ball handling. He improved on his finishing around the basket and his jump shooting off the dribble. Uh, based on his percentages and how efficient he's been, he's been aggressive. He's been attacking the basket. He's passed the ball much better. And I think he's really, really taken his offseason seriously based on the progressions he's made, how consistent he's been, and the approach and mindset of the, the new-look Minnesota Timberwolves team. Obviously, new coaches in place. They got DV uh, from our staff, and he's a great uh mentor in terms of development, staying on players, breaking down film and getting the best out of his players. I think Carl Anthony Towns playing better, having more of a leadership role, has affected the roster and has affected kind of what they're doing. You I mean the start he got off to individually, that alone kind of frees up space for the other players to op to operate. You know, Carl Anthony Towns is attracting double teams, which means Wiggs is getting one on one with closeouts and Oftentimes, they're playing four on three on the backside. Uh, the guys scored five consecutive 25-plus-point games to start the season, 30 points in four of the last seven games. And the Timberwolves are playing great basketball. Uh, outside of the, the Carl Anthony Towns' suspension, I think they've had their core together. They've been relatively healthy. Shabazz has had some, some injuries that he's battled uh, throughout this season. But I think they're figuring out an identity – and I think Andrew Wiggins himself is just out there hooping. He's not worrying about what people have said about him. He's not worrying about expectations and he's delivering and he's showing glimpses of what everybody kind of expected from him um, when he was drafted first overall pick. The talent is there. And now I think the work ethic is is starting to potentially catch up with the talent. When you're prepared and you have talent, it's hard not to succeed.
1: Yeah. A couple of key notes there. And it just points for one, David Vanderpool, uh, your guy, guy I love, uh, Minnesota Timberwolves assistant, says, quote, he has been incredible at trying to make his teammates better in every facet. He's doing a great job with his defensive assignments, and he has been great facilitating for others on the offensive end. Uh, He's also just basically said he's an all-star, again, very early. But one interesting note for me is, according to the NBA's primary stats page, Wiggins is passing the ball. About nine times more per game this season than last season, and I think a lot of that has to do with him attacking and, and making plays for others. Uh, whereas last year he was not very efficient, and although he scored over eighteen points a game, it was not—he uh, was not a playmaker, even though he has playmaking ability. And I think you're seeing a guy that has committed to the process. We know he signed a massive extension. He's making. About twenty-nine million dollars a year, so he's certainly being paid like a superstar. But it is pretty refreshing when a player goes from becoming—I I would never say he was a bust, but a disappointment—to you know an all-star who is really excelling and still, obviously, a very young player. I wonder how much you know maturity he's gained and, and how much some of those, um, you know, not not effective or disappointing seasons helped him. Like. When you when you have those expectations and you don't live up to them, how much do you learn from them? We, we've talked a lot on this podcast, CJ, and had some good guests talk about how failure is not death. Failure is an opportunity, and I think that's what we've seen with him. Even though I don't think he's necessarily failed before, but again, he has not lived up to the number one pick. Uh, up until now. Yeah, I agree. And I think the losing and and the going through struggles and
0: trials and tribulations has helped build character. I think it's helped build a a better appreciation of preparation, work ethic, and what it takes to be successful in the NBA. And sometimes it takes failures. Sometimes it takes those small struggles for you to really turn the corner. A lot of people either fold or move forward. And I think he's showing that uh, based on his prior experiences and where he's at now his career, he's going to move forward.
1: Have you seen um, much of Indiana yet? I, I know Victor hasn't played, but have you been able to see them at all with uh, with, uh, with with Brogdon?
0: I have seen a little bit of them with Brogdon. I know he's a fantastic playmaker. He's shooting the ball well, and uh, based on some early games, his passing has been really impressive. Obviously, Victor Oladipo hasn't played yet this season. Um, he's He's gone to the G League and could be activated at any point. I think Miles Turner's been banged up and out with injuries, but... They've looked pretty good uh, so far this season, although they're not healthy and, and the season is far from over. I think they have a lot to look forward to.
1: Yeah, I'm, the reason I bring it up is because I, I've always liked him going back to Virginia. And, and I thought last year he was really good and he was great in the playoffs when when he came back. And uh, just somebody under the radar still that's, uh, that's played really well. His usage is about 30%. Uh, and he's playing great. I, I don't know, to your point, you, you said they could be a playoff team. It'd be really interesting to see what happens when when Victor comes back because of just how how good he is with the ball in his hands. I think that's something for basketball fans to watch given how, how good we know Victor is and how dominant he can be as a scorer and playmaker. I wonder how much that'll affect Brogdon. I, I think ultimately will help him, but there, there will be an adjustment period. Um, so, did you see Pat Beverly last night with, with Russ? I, I, and how I he, didn't see it. Well, he was basically being Pat Bev. Did you see that? And then Russell basically says after, he don't guard nobody, man. <laughs> I've
0: seen uh, the interview post-game. Um, we were actually playing like during the same time, but I've seen the stats and I've seen some of the highlights. And I think Patrick Beverly was being himself, you know, ultra aggressive. He was talking. He's active defensively. He plays hard. He has a motor. And – Basically, Russ said that he just does a lot of nonsense out there and he he tricks the media, but they broke down the stats. And I think James was 0 for 6 with 4 turnovers on plays. He was defended by Patrick Beverly. And historically, Patrick Beverly has held him to 11 points per 100 possessions, which is by far the least effective James is against anyone in the league, um, historically, um, based, based on a certain amount of coverages and in the breakdown. But I think they're all just, Being themselves, honestly. um, Obviously, Russ isn't going to praise someone from another team, especially Patrick Beverly. And I think that based on James' success, you know, in the NBA historically and what he's been able to do, obviously scoring 47 points on that team, it's hard to to look at what he's done and and say someone has stopped him. Although I think Patrick Beverly has been effective at times on him, I I still don't think he can stop him by himself because it is a— Five man game out there, and you have to be able to guard as a team.
1: Yeah, I, I miss. I think I might have misspoke. It was it was Beverly that was guarding Harden, and that's what caused some of the the issues. When Patrick Beverly CJ picked up that sixth foul, Russ was just a little happy and gave him a little mock wave, which I thought was entertaining. Uh, I I think I've asked you this before, but just from a defensive standpoint, you know, is Beverly? I mean, I know he's a great defender, but. Is he as good a defender as the reputation is? Does he? How aggressive is he? And and is he able to? You know, do, do you think what he does in terms, in terms of some of the antics and uh, everything that goes with him? Do you think that helps him as a whole?
0: I think he said it himself. There are thousands of people like him in Chicago, New York, and LA in certain areas. What separates him is his motor, his determination, his grittiness. Uh, You're talking about a guy who's six foot, maybe six one. I don't know what he's listed at. Offensively, uh, not a great skill set. You know, can can catch and shoot threes, can run a pick and roll, but is more so known for how hard he plays. You know, a guy six one, six two can get 10 to 15 rebounds in a game. He's going to get three to four steals. He's going to be in the right position defensively. He's going to communicate. He's low maintenance, doesn't demand the ball. And essentially played... He played point guard, but he was more so a shooting guard in Houston and and does a similar role for the Clippers now to where he'll guard whoever. He'll guard the shooting guard, he'll guard the small forward, he'll guard whoever is one of the best or the best player on the court and is comfortable playing off the ball and allowing the star player to flourish. And I think in terms of how he accompanies and compliments other players. He's a great fit in the NBA. And I think without his motor, without his hustle, without that chip that he has on his shoulder, he's overseas somewhere still playing and and would not be in the NBA. And we we wouldn't be talking about him, but that's what separates him um, from other guys. It's his determination, his tenacity, and whether or not it's effective is to be debated. But I think what you can't... Can't question it's his hunger and how hard he plays. He's in the right spots. He takes charges. He's going to do the little stuff. There's a lot of antics that comes with it. But I imagine it's fun playing with him because of how hard and how serious he takes the defensive end.
1: Well, remember in the playoffs, he was the one that was uh, checking K D um, you know, last last spring, last summer, when Golden State won that series in seven in the first round. But, you know, he's just so physical and, and plays so hard to your point. Uh, I, I, I always get, I, I mean, he's, he's, he's fun to watch. You know, I don't, like you said, he's not especially skilled, but he is really fun to watch. And uh, just so the listeners get a real sense of Harden, he says, quote, we all know what Pat does. Uh, I tried to execute, and then he goes on, but basically says he's a pest. And uh, Harden did score 10 of his 17 points in the fourth um, with, uh, with Beverly out of the game. So... I don't know. I mean, I think it's fun. I I think he's a really fun player. I guess that'd be the word um, I would use. Speaking of, um, I guess, disappointments, as we have talked a little bit about, Kentucky lost to Evansville, obviously very early in the college basketball season. But the reason I bring it up isn't so much to blast Kentucky, but for you, uh, just given your history against being a giant slayer, what What do you think that game meant to Evansville? And how can, given the talent discrepancy, like how do we justify a team like Evansville going into Rupp and beating a team like Kentucky with all those pros? I think it means a lot to the players and the organization will probably help them out from a recruiting
0: aspect inside of things. But it's so early in the season. Uh, There's... It's hard to put a lot of merit on this loss. Kentucky's a very young team. They're led by freshmen. Um, definitely a letdown, you know, after the big emotional win that they had over Michigan State in Madison Square Garden, bright lights, close game. To go at, to go to Lexington and lose, um, that is a big disappointment. But I would imagine that this will just be something we forget about later on as the season progresses because there will be a different team come March there'll be a different team come tournament time and obviously Evansville is, is a team that you may have to
1: look out for was it luck who knows I didn't watch the game mm-hmm. so I'm not even no, sure how that's it happened but that was what's crazy is is I went back and rewatched the second half it wasn't really luck um they got out rebounded they got out rebounded they had a ton of turnovers double-digit turnovers they probably should have had more could could not shoot the ball all night it didn't feel like luck it felt like that's why I wanted to bring it up because it felt like it was they just played better they just played yeah. better yeah
0: maybe that's a team we need to watch going forward and, and when, when tournament time comes maybe that's a team that I have upsetting others but if they have veteran players out there on the court and they can run a zone defense knock down shots and kind of contain anything can happen in college basketball especially it's only 40 minutes it's running clock there's foul trouble there's not a lot of spacing a lot of things can kind of swing a game and that's why the, the tournament is so fun Stay tuned because after the break, we're going to talk about our brownies and more importantly, Colin Kaepernick. Will he or will he not get a job after this Saturday workout? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business
2: was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me.
0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't even visit other leading job sites so start looking in the right place with linkedin you can hire professionals like a professional post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend
1: today cj what else is going on in the nfl i i've been kind of uh prolonging my, I guess you could say procrastinating my Baker Mayfield Brown stuff. You guys got a big win against the Bills last weekend. It wasn't pretty, but listen, Buffalo's a pretty good team and Baker played pretty well. What did you make of that? And uh, is your faith in in the Browns uh, at least temporarily restored? Uh, Temporarily, I think we'll learn a lot about them going forward in the next
0: few weeks. Um, When your back's against the wall, it really tells a lot about, who you are as a person and, and what your morals and faith is. So uh, I look forward to seeing like how we respond after that win. Was it a pretty win? No, but it was a win we needed to have. And at the end of the year, it doesn't say how close your wins were. It doesn't say who you beat. It just says whether or not you won or lost. You can only play the games that are on your schedule and you can't control injuries. You can't control any of those things. So I think going forward, I'm just going to play, pay real close attention to the Browns and kind of what's happening from a roster standpoint and from an execution standpoint in the red zone. But I can tell you one of the things I've been watching from afar involving the NFL is this Colin Kaepernick situation. Yep. Um, I don't have all the details, but I know he has a workout scheduled by the NBA, or by the NBA. He has a workout scheduled by the NFL on Saturday, which is kind of a strange date for them to schedule workout considering most games are played on Sunday, which means GMs and ownership groups and management are traveling on the weekends to go to respective cities to play games. So I'm not sure what the thinking was behind that, but this potentially could be an opportunity for Kaepernick to showcase, you know, his game. He's going to do some interviews and kind of A lot of people to see like where he's at mentally and physically after, you know, his three year hiatus of of not being involved in the NFL and essentially not having any interest uh, from majority of teams. But I think based on what I've seen, 11 or so teams have confirmed they will send a scout and be in attendance. But. I just think that this is interesting. It's happening now after all this time in the middle of the season, but hopefully this is a sign of of change uh, to come for Kaepernick and allowing him to be back into the NFL and potentially on a roster because whether he's a starter or not is up for debate, but there's no debate on saying that he can't be a second or third string quarterback in the NFL based
1: on what I've seen on on all 30 rosters. Yeah, I've talked and written extensively about this. You, You know, I'm as big a proponent of him being on an NFL roster as anyone. And it's the talent. The guy is incredibly talented. Uh, he's in great shape. I, I, listen, I, I had an opportunity to spend some time with him and it's, it's been a little while now. So I, but I can't imagine that he's not in good shape and he's talked about how much he's worked out. He's, he's gone vegan. He, he's, everything he's told me is that I, I just want an opportunity and, Um, you know, I, I feel like I, I'm, I can still really play and I know he's 32 years old, but you know, listen, he hasn't played in three years. 32 is not old for an NFL quarterback, especially someone like him who is is that fresh. And, uh, I, I think some of the questions that I would like to know just as a fan is, is who's he throwing to, uh, exactly which teams will be there. Uh, you know, how many teams will be there? We know some of them and, um, you know, who, who's leading the workout? What, is he going to run a 40? Like all these question marks that uh, normally you you probably wouldn't even care about with a normal workout. Like when guys get worked out all the time every week and we don't talk about it or it's a blip on the radar screen. So in that sense, I think it's a good thing that we are talking about it. Um, I guess I would ask you this then. Yes or no, if you had to say he gets signed before the end of the season. I think it depends on how his workout goes. I think Hugh
0: Jackson is running his workout, but I will say this. I think he will be signed on a team by next season for sure. If it doesn't happen the rest of this year, I think someone signs him for next season for sure based on his performance and his readiness. He says he's been working out for three years and he's been waiting on this opportunity. I think the NFL kind of tried to catch him off guard by cold calling him on Tuesday, telling him that he will work out this Saturday, knowing that his schedule and historically for free agency type workouts, they do them early in the week so that higher personnel and management can actually attend the workout and not have to kind of affect their preparation for games on Sundays. But I think he'll be ready because based on the Kaepernick that I've heard about and and seen from afar, he prides himself on preparation and showing up. And I don't think he squanders an opportunity like this. So it just depends on team meeting. There's a lot of teams that could use a backup quarterback based on what I've seen.
1: Yeah, just to note, and I I didn't see that about Hugh Jackson. That's that's as interesting as anything to me, former Browns coach. But uh, Eric Reed, who was the first player to join Colin in taking a knee during the anthem, said it feels disingenuous that the NFL would schedule a workout for the quarterback on Saturday. I think it's just good in general that he has an opportunity. I mean, that's, that's a big step. And uh, if, he, if he shows up and shows that live arm and he's in great shape, as I think he will be, I'm with you. I think he will be signed. And that's a far cry from what I have believed over the last, let's say, two years. I, I didn't think we'd even get to the point where he'd have an opportunity to work out in front of a dozen-plus teams. So I think this is a really good thing. And um, we know he can help plenty of teams. I mean, th- there's no question about that. It really comes down to, for me, which team is is uh, is courageous enough to take a chance with not somebody... Who's a bad guy, but someone who we know is going to draw the ire of many fans, um, even fans that want to win probably won't want Colin Kaepernick on their team. But he he deserves this chance, CJ. I, I believe that very strongly. Yeah, I agree too, and I think that the biggest people, the biggest thing people have to understand
0: is that he's moved on from a lot of the things um, he was protesting and now has put into action. He's not talking about taking knees. He's not talking about those types of protests. He's literally putting his time and money into different programs to kind of unite the world and, and make and create a better peace and understanding between not just law enforcement and people of color, but different communities that need to be impacted and, and and just kind of giving that light and hope and understanding that there's a lot more things out there besides what they're seeing in their day-to-day lives.
1: No question. You'd, you'd love for the Browns to sign them. I can't imagine you wouldn't, you wouldn't want that. <laughs> Uh, I, I wouldn't be against the Browns having a backup quarterback, uh, just uh, uh, or someone in the
0: in the event that something happens to Baker. But uh, I think the the biggest thing is just understanding. That I watched the Jets game where Ooh. they were forced to play their backup quarterback and their third string quarterback, and at that moment I knew, like, not only is Kaepernick better than these backups that are out here, but there's other quarterbacks available who could be playing and aren't playing. And, and that product was out there. And it was just, it was very hard to watch, honestly.
1: Yeah, you're talking about very that early Monday watch. night game. And in, in, uh, Trevor Simeon started, Luke Falk ended up finishing. That was when Darnold had mono. That was a disaster. I know that was a bad product. Yes, that was. So, um well, have you been drinking any grapes, or, like, what's your situation there? I haven't lately. We've played so many games, and I've been traveling so much, but I did
0: have—I had a Syrah last night. I didn't even get a picture of the bottle, but it was pretty good. It was an Oregon Syrah. It was a house special uh, on the bottles they were okay. they were uh, having available at departure, and I really enjoyed it. Price point was, was pretty good. It wasn't anything— too crazy it was very reasonable um, but I enjoyed it and it was full body it, it paired well with the uh, with the squash rice I had I had some squash I had rice I had some departure late night chicken wings with a side of the house special sauce but I'll actually get the name of this sarah next time I go to to departure, but it was a very reasonable price point, uh, full body. and I think it was in 2016. I love it.
1: I actually have taken the last week plus off, but uh, fear not. Next week, I'll have plenty of recommendations for you, buddy. I like it, man. I like it, and hopefully
0: next week, by the time we get back on this podcast, we're closer to 500. The Browns are closer to 500, and the world is a better place, and Kaepernick potentially could have a job.
1: And... You'll be back home reunited with your family after a long road trip. Yes, thank you, man. I appreciate it. And uh, get some rest, man. You need it. I will, man. We got 11 or 12 day road trip coming up. Uh, I get to go
0: home to Cleveland. I get to go play the Cavs and get some time at home with family in Cannes with my grandma and my auntie and my dad. So I'm really looking forward to that trip. But first and foremost, we got to get San Antonio on Saturday. But we appreciate all our listeners out there tuning in faithfully. Um, Football season is coming to a close and basketball season is beginning to take off. So enjoy each week of this overload of sports and continue to listen to our podcast. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, radio.com backslash pull up with CJ or wherever you get your shows. And don't forget to
1: pull up. Pull up.